Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister, get together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today that they can use. They will be able to use this message and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now. They will be able to use this word and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, family, we also want to step off and say our Bible confession. If you don't mind, say this with me. No matter what form your Bibles take, lift them up and say this confession. Say, this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God breathed. And I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus name. Amen. Family, we're going to kick off today. I'm going to show you the Smith story correction slide that we wanted to show you last week. Oh, yeah, I'm still on that. I don't let stuff go. But because everybody didn't see it. See, I told a story and I talked to my granddaughter. I'm just, just let me do this. Now, nah, just let me finish. You're looking at me with them shut up eyes. To let me finish. I'm going to I'm going to tell it. And so this, this, this is what it, this is what I should have said. This is what I should have said. Oh, I'm a lot of years in my, under my belt, but so when my granddaughter was trying to say a round of applause, she actually said a ram for the claws, and that's what she, it just in her little youth mind. That's what she saw. But now you can see it. So that is that is the correction of the of the story. Now let's get back to what we really want to talk about. <laughs> Because I, why did I do that? Because I promised you I would show it to you. I promised you I would show it to you. So, check. If I hadn't said it, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done it, but I said it. All right. You know where we are. See that big red thing up there? It says contend. And for contend, what we're doing is we jump off in Jude. Jude. 1 verse 3, King James says this, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. The easy to read says, Dear friends, I wanted very much to write to you about the salvation we all share together, but I felt the need to write to you about something else. I want to encourage you to fight hard for the faith that God gave his holy people. God gave this faith once 
and it is good for all time. So where are we in our discussion? You heard a little bit about it during praise and worship. We are in Acts chapter 16, and we've been talking about the life events of Paul and Silas. And talking about that, what our intent was, was to glean some information from their life so that we would know as contenders, what can a day in our life look like? As we track these guys through their little, I'm going to call it an adventure. It was an adventure, but probably not a, a pleasant one for them. As we're going through their adventure, now what happens? They come face to face with an angry mob. And that angry mob roughs them up pretty good. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in the Message Bible version that we were reading that it beat them black and blue. Beat them black and blue, and they end up thrown in jail with leg irons on. During that time, what we said was, you know, most likely, Somewhere in Paul's mind was the words that he also once spoke to the Corinthians. He once said this in 1 Corinthians. Notice. We've all, we've all seen this before, but we're going we're gonna to read them real quick, a little bit quick refresher. Paul said to the Corinthians, this is the Passion Translation, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We all experience times of testing which is normal for every human being. But God will be faithful to you. He will screen and filter the severity, nature, and timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial God has provided you, what does that say? A way of escape that will bring you out of it victoriously. What I'm saying is, I believe Paul, while he's sitting in that jail cell, him and Silas, he's counting on God to give him a way of escape. We said to ourselves, you know, that's, that makes sense to me because as a human, it is, it's easy to see how you would want an escape out of hard times. It's human nature to be going through some tribulations and want an exit door. When life gets unpleasant, as people, just plain old people, you want that open door of escape. Miraculously, God opens the door. Notice, back in Acts. Acts 16, it reads this way, starting in verse 25, the Message Bible. Along about midnight, Paul and Silas were at prayer and singing a robust, robust hymn to God. The other prisoners couldn't believe their ears. Then, out of, without warning, a huge earthquake. The jailhouse tottered. Every door flew open. All the prisoners were loose. Now, last week we read that. We didn't highlight this, but let me highlight it now. It says all the prisoners were loose. That is kind of squishy. Because it could just mean that the door was open. And we've been telling you that these men didn't try to run away. But guess what? You might have thought, well, they had leg irons on. If you take a look in the easy to read version, just for one extra translation, it says this in verse 26. The doors of the jail opened and the chains on all the prisoners fell off. So they could get away if they wanted to with some speed. So here we go. The jailhouse tottered. Every door flew open. 
All the prisoners were loose, startled from sleep. The jailer saw all the doors swinging loose on their hinges. Assuming that all the prisoners had escaped, he pulled out his sword and was about to do himself in, figuring he was as good as dead anyway. When Paul stopped him, don't do that. We're all still here. Nobody's run away. There was an open door. When that door opened, Paul wasn't like, yo, side, let's bounce. No, they stayed. And when they stayed, them not trying to run away, guess what it did? It created a gospel platform. Notice, go to the next image. What do I mean about a gospel platform? Well, realize that because they stayed, the jailer and his family got saved. Now, we're not going to go through all of this like we did last time, but just notice if I can narrate for you. It says the jailer got the torch and ran out inside. And then he said, sirs, talking to Paul and Silas, what do I have to do to be saved to really live? They chatted it up a little bit, say, hey, man, this is what you got to do. You got to, hey, you got to take on God in your heart. And fast forward to the end of verse 34, it says, it was, a, it was a night to remember. He, meaning the jailer, and his entire family had put their trust in God. Everyone in the house was in on the celebration. All this celebration, all this kingdom work, all that stuff happened because Paul and Silas didn't make a break for it out of their trouble. Them staying created a gospel platform which aligns with what Jesus once said. Notice. In Matthew 10, Message Bible, verses 16 through 18, Jesus said, stay alert. This is hazardous work I'm assigning to you. You're going to be like sheep running, running through a wolf pack. So don't call attention to yourselves. Be as cunning as a snake, inoffensive as a dove. He goes on to say this, don't be naive. Some people will impugn your motives. Others will smear your reputation just because you believe in me. Don't be upset when they haul you before the civil authorities. Ah, check this out. Without knowing it, you've done you and me a favor. You, they've done, I said, without knowing it, they've done you and me a favor, given you a platform for preaching the kingdom news. The fact that they didn't run away created a platform a platform for the preaching of the kingdom news. God opened the door. These men did not run away. Why do I keep saying it like that? That God opened the door, but these men didn't run away. When he opened that door, the easiest thing to do would have been to run away. 
when I reflect all this back on Paul and Silas and what they were going through, I can't help but conclude this, that Paul and Silas, the simple fact that they stayed put, transmitted this thought. These men taking the position that they were not going to save themselves physically gave God the opportunity to save the jailer and his family spiritually. How can I say that differently? We're going to say it together. Notice. Read this with me. Ready, go. Paul and Silas, by enduring their own personal bad news, created a platform for others to hear and experience the good news. The fact that these men made the decision that they were going to stick it out through their hard times, stay with God when things got tough, hang in their faith through tribulation, them enduring their bad news established a platform for others to experience the good news. Now, in saying this, these men must have had somewhere in their mind an unction, at minimum in their flesh. When they saw that door open, ooh, God must be making me a way of escape. But they stay. When we're in hard times and a door opens, it's natural for us to say that must be a way of escape. I don't know about you. That door opens. I'm lacing my sneakers up now. But that's natural. And when you think about all of those possibilities of you being in that situation, I want you to realize that not only is it common, I would go farther to say most, if not all of us, may have taken the door. after being beaten black and blue, after being roughed up, after being talked up, talked about, lied on, pushed around, most of us probably would have taken that door. Here's the thing though, it's very common to, do the, to view that open door as a way of escape. More noteworthy, our discernment of that door can be very different than God's view of it. I want to take some time and wrap our heads around that, though. And to wrap our heads around that, I want you to come with me and let's spend a moment talking through a few phrases. Let's start with our first phrase. In talking through these phrases, it's going to really help us to hone in 
on where we're headed. Because we're, head, we're headed towards someplace very specific. Oh, here we go. Nice. Phrases to consider. Phrase one is this. One man's trash is another man's treasure. Now, we can make that gender neutral and say one person's trash is another person's treasure. But going forward, we're going to use the one that says man. But just so that you know, it can be gender neutral. What are some other similar phrases to this? Well, you have these three. What is useless to some is worth a lot to others. One man's junk or one person's junk is another man's or person's income. The last one, things that some throw away, others will use. Let's look at two more phrases. Notice. The first one. One man's sorrow is another man's joy. To make that gender neutral, we can say one person's sorrow is another person's joy. Ah, I like this one. Before criticizing someone, try walking a mile in their shoes. If we had a room full of, or if there's somebody in here who is like a, a student of English and grammar and writing and all of that kind of stuff, when they see these kind of phrases, they're likely to call them idioms. An idiom is a phrase that has a figurative meaning beyond the words face value. To wrap our heads a little bit tighter around what we want to what we want to talk about today, or where we're getting at, we're already talking about it. Where we want to get at? Let's look at each one of those three phrases, the big ones that were highlighted, and let's add some context. Let's start with the first phrase: "One man's trash is another man's treasure." The whole meaning behind that, if I can just create one that uh, hopefully uh, uh, wrap it up good is that two people can look at the exact same thing and have different opinions of that thing's value. One man's trash is another man's treasure. That can apply to material things. A car, some clothes, Furniture. You can have furniture in your house right now, and you don't like it. As a matter of fact, you bought it new, bought it home, and when you bought it, you didn't like it. <laughs> you can have furniture. Maybe, maybe you, you you got the house that your grandma had, and it just came with it, but you don't like it. Someone else can look at that same furniture and absolutely adore it, and be more than happy to take it off your hands, even pay you top dollar for it. Why? Because one man's trash is another man's treasure. You can go to a job every day and do work and complain about that job every day. Oh, every day. 
Yet there is someone looking at what you do and they yearning for just that same job. Mm -hmm. One man's trash is, is another man's treasure. Marriage. Hmm. A husband can gripe about his wife, gripe about what she don't do, gripe about what he wish she did do, gripe about how she don't look, gripe about how he wish she still looked like she looked when whenever time he, he can gripe and gripe and gripe and say, I don't think I can live with her anymore. Yeah, and, and this is done. Yet, some other man can meet that same woman, see her as precious. The very thing that he thought was trash, look at her and be overjoyed to live with her and thank God every day that that bonehead let her go. <laughs> Same thing, a wife can just decide, hey, I don't, I, I'm displeased with this situation. You don't look like you used to look. You don't act like you used to act. Everything, listen, this is just, we gonna, I'm going to dismiss you as the spouse. Yet another woman can meet that same man. Meet that same man and see her trash as her now treasure. And be overjoyed to live with the very man that the other woman got rid of and thank God every day that she kicked him to the curb. Why? Because one man's, tra one man's trash is another man's treasure. What about this next one? One man's sorrow is another man's joy. What that is saying is that two people can be involved in, involved in the same basic event and think about the event differently. And the event have different effects on each one. Let's talk about the economy. Everybody knows that the economy, especially the one that we've been dealing with, ebbs and flows. When there was the economic downturn, people who were dependent financially, financially dependent on the system, whatever this, this system is, they, they saw that economic downturn as troublesome as they lost jobs, and they saw things that they have kind of decrease in value. On the other hand, people who were financially independent saw the economic downturn as an opportunity to pick up valuable assets at a deep discount. One person's sorrow is another person's joy. What about the economic upturn? Works the same way. People who are financially dependent, they see it troublesome because now all prices are escalating. The things they wanted to buy, they can't buy no more. The things they hope to do, they can't do anymore because everything's getting so expensive. 
while people who are financially independent, they see it as an opportunity to get a windfall of cash by monetizing their assets. One man's sorrow is another man's joy. What about this last one? Before criticizing someone, try walking a mile in their shoes. I'm going to say the meaning of this one this way. Loved ones, it is easy for you to say what somebody else should or shouldn't do in a situation while you on the outside looking in. Being on the outside looking in on a situation is very, 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 very different than being on the inside of the situation and having to live through it. I can't tell you how many people I bump into in the course of my life, and I've been, thank God, around a long time, and still today, that like to talk about and tell people what they would do if they was in their situation. It's always an if or a when. I tell you what I would do if. I I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do when. Bumping their gums about a situation they don't know nothing about. For example, let's, let's stay on the one that we were on before, marriage. Somebody who ain't never been married <laughs> going to try to tell a husband or a wife what they should do. Well, and if I was married, I'd tell you what I, I would do. If that was me, I'd, I'd tell you what, dog, what, I would, what I would do. Bumping your gums about something you don't know nothing about. Get married first. See, see what it's like for, to, to, to wake up one, one, one day and the wife that you're married tripping or the husband that you're married tripping. That somebody didn't spend money on something that you said y'all weren't going to spend money on no more. Somebody didn't mess around and no goodness well, she know, didn't he, or he, not that's you, not he's saying you, but just he, he, or, or she know, let's do it, he know, let's do that. That's, that's safe. That's Say, <laughs> doggone it, he, he, he know good and well that, you know, you don't like his cousin and he didn't invite his cousin to stay a month with y'all. What you, 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 you deal with some of that situation before you come and try to tell a married person what to do. You get married first and, and then you can come in here and you can talk some, some, some stuff, maybe out of some experience. You realize that. When you in that situation, sometimes you can wake up and wonder who in the world and switch your spouse out in the middle of the night with this idiot that then woke up next to you, bumping their gums and acting stupid. I don't understand what happened. You went to bed fine and now you done woke up. I don't know where your mind at. You want to tell me what it's like to be married? You don't even know what it's like to, to be married yet. Knowing how you, yeah, you said I do to them, but now they don't want to know what you want to do to them. There are a whole bunch of things I can do to you if the law wouldn't lock me up for it. If they didn't have corporal punishment, I do. Oh, that's a lot. Oh, I can do. I got a lot of stuff I can do to you. Bumping your guns about something you don't know nothing about. Oh, but wait. 
maybe you maybe you are married, but you know, I've I'm you know me and my husband, me and my wife, we we're going on two years. Two years. <laughs> Walk a mile in my shoes. Not a foot. Not a yard. You come back to me when you got 10 years under your belt, when you got 12 years under your belt. Right now, y'all can't keep your hands off each other. You're still in that little honeymoon stage. You get with me when you can't stand and look at his face for a week. Then you can talk some trash, and I, I might want to believe something that you say. Right now, you still wet behind the ears. Your marriage still drinking Similac. Don't come up here telling me what you... Oh, well, I can tell you what I would do. You don't know. You haven't walked a mile in my shoes yet. Yeah. It's, it's, it's marriage. Can fit under there. What about... Oh, what about, what about raising children? You don't sit there talking about looking at looking at this woman's kids and talk about how bad they are and what you would do and how you should handle the situation and why she need to mess around and get some experience and understanding and read some books and get some counseling because her kids just running them up. You and you know what? You actually are married with kids. But guess what? You and your wife or you and your husband, you're financially sound. You both got six figures coming in every single, every single year. And guess what? You live in a nice community. And guess what? You got one kid, maybe two. And you bumping your gums about this single mother who's trying to make ends meet. Guess what? She got four kids. It don't matter how she got four kids. She might have had four kids and a husband and the husband passed away. You have no idea. But she's doing the best that she can. She's not trying to have kids that are running them up, but guess what? She's trying to make ends meet. She's trying to work two and three jobs. She ain't got no family in the area, so she got to count on people, whoever will help her. Hey, and guess what? Something else. I, I got I to gotta, I gotta go, 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 go and say this too. This woman, she already know her kids acting up. You ain't, you ain't got to tell her nothing that she can see right before her very eyes. You're not helping the situation. But you know what? You haven't walked a mile in her shoes. You don't know what it's like to live in a community that the moment those kids walk out the door, every element is trying to bring them down. You don't know what it's like for her to wonder whether or not her kids are at home okay because she got to leave them by themselves while she go out and work her night job. You don't understand, but you bumping your gums about what she should do. You haven't walked a mile in her shoes. You have it. She is, whether or not her best is up to your standards, don't matter. You either help or be quiet. You do not criticize. Because you haven't walked a mile in that woman's shoes. Here's one for you. Well, if my daughter came home pregnant, she wouldn't be staying up here with me. Come home pregnant out of wedlock. 
she had to make things do on her own, I tell you that. Let my son, let my son get some girl pregnant and bringing that baby up in my house. I tell you that. I don't know what you're going to do, but I tell you what I would do was you, if I was you, that baby, that, that baby, uh-uh, they had the baby had to go somewhere else. Bumping your guns by something you don't know about. Then hear your daughter come pregnant. Time she come pregnant, you the first one putting a baby shower invitation out on social media. Yeah. The last child you had was 20 years ago, but now you got sonograms out on your post. Oh, oh, it's, it's, your, it's your child now. See, before, you hadn't walked a mile and nobody, you were bumping your gums about something you didn't know about. But now, now it's you. You all up at the mall talking about per, buying perfect grandpa shirts and perfect grandma shirts. Oh, yeah, the shoes. The, oh, you wearing, you, you wearing those shoes now. You're walking now. Talking about what you, well, if, I, if, that was, if that was me, I'd tell you, time your child walking there, grandbaby, and you hear you are funding everything. <laughs> then, took, then took your room that you say was your man cave or she shed, then painted that joker pink, <laughs> bought baby cribs and teddy bears and put everything in there. Yo, man, what happened to your big screen TV? This for my grandbaby. What, what I thought you said... When that other person had a child that brought a child into this world outside of wedlock, that they should not be any, have no parts to it. Why your man cave pink? <laughs> yeah. Before criticizing someone, try walking a mile in their shoes. Oh, look at this. Here, check this out. Girls get together with their girlfriends and they know that they were the guy and their friend is with the guy and the guy's, you know, not treating her the best. Sometimes get a little physical with her and they're like, well, I tell you what I would do. If I was, if I was dating a man and, and he was a little rough with me, I just, we just have to leave him, girl. I don't know what you're doing. Fast forward. Now you got a boyfriend. Every time we see you in the grocery store, you got on big sunblocker shades so we don't see the bruise on your eye. Mm. Yeah. See, before you were bumping your gums about something you ain't know nothing about. You didn't know what it's like to be attached to someone like that emotionally. You didn't know what it was like to be attached to somebody like that physically. You didn't know what it's like for someone to be able to get in your mental state like that. You didn't know what it's like for someone to be able to have that kind of power over you and keep you in that kind of fear where you feel like you couldn't go nowhere. Yeah, you hadn't walked a mile in her shoes. You were bumping your gums about something you didn't know nothing about. Not that the advice was bad, but the way you gave the advice was flipping. It's what I'm saying. Oh, I would just... You would not just, you don't have no idea what you would do if that were you. You don't know what you, what you would do if you were that kind of man and he's a stalker. 
and he's, he's got some kind of authority. You don't know what you would do. But no, you give your advice like your advice is something they should just take and run with. Not that it's bad advice. But the delivery is flippant. Why? Because you haven't walked a mile in her shoes. Same thing with dudes. Well, man, if I had a woman that was not treating me right, you know, she was mistreating me. I, if, I don't know about you, brother. Me, uh -uh, I wouldn't have that. No, I would just bounce. And you say it like, as a matter of fact, I just, uh, for me, I would just, you know, I'd just be out of there. <laughs> you know how, you know, how, you know, you know <laughs> testosterone dripping out, they, dripping out their body when they, when they got some advice. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 <laughs> That's how they be. I didn't tell you what I'd do, right? Fast forward. Now you got a girlfriend. You like her too. But you know what she do? She just ghosts you for weeks. She just just ghosts her for weeks. Just ghost her. Just he. Just, she just ghosts you for weeks. Here you are, thirty-five years old, sitting on your couch, crying. Leaving messages on her cell phone while you in the dark. Why you ain't calling me back? Why you ain't calling me back? I called you yesterday. Hey, listen, I talked to your mama. Your mama said she ain't heard from you either. I just want to know that you're okay. I, I don't, I mean, you can call me back if you want to, but I really, I really would like to hear something. Can you call me back, please? Click. Hey, it's me again. I just want to know. Can you come? I don't want. I don't know why you're doing this to me. You know how I feel. You know I love. I, can you call me? Where's all that base? Where's all that? What I would do? Where's all that testosterone now? Why you sound like you three? Why? Because you had all this advice for your friend, but guess what? You gave his, your advice, flip it. You hadn't walked a mile in the shoes yet. You hadn't. You hadn't. What is the value of going through all these phrases? What is the value of going through all of these meanings? All of these phrases that we've talked about have one word that encapsulates the essence of every phrase. And I want you to say that word with me. That word is perspective. Perspective. Watch this image. As it relates to an open door, loved ones, it's a matter of perspective. An open door presents entry into a, across a threshold. As believers, we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as to what action we take in response to that open door. Because as it relates to God's plan, that open door 
can be an exit for us or an entry for somebody else. It's all a matter of perspective. When you are facing that open door in the middle of your situation, that door, from your view, is a way of escape. And it very well might be there for your way of escape. But that door also may be for God to give somebody entry into your presence while you are in your situation. They step in your presence while you're in your situation and they see how you're handling your situation and still holding on to the faith. And they become amazed. And they say to themselves, I want that kind of faith operating in my life. I want that operating in my life. And you know what I'm going to do? I want to come into the kingdom. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to become a disciple of the truth. I want to commit and devote myself to God. When it comes to an open door, loved ones, it's all a matter of perspective. Jesus stood before an open door in the Garden of Gethsemane. Let's take a quick look at that. Now, the Garden of Gethsemane is in several of the of the Gospels, but we're going to look at the one in Matthew 26. And in Matthew 26. It starts off this way in verse 36. We're in the easy to read version and we're not going to read all of this. We're just going to highlight a few things. Matthew 26, 36. We're going to get to this one, but go, go, go back to the earlier in that chapter for me, if you don't mind. Matthew 26, 36. What, that, what it's going to say is that, you know, this is after what we call the Last Supper. And Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's getting ready to pray. I'm going to push I'm going to push forward, but it'll display it'll display for you soon. Here we go. Matthew 26, starting in verse 30, 36 in the easy to read version. Verse 36 says this. Then Jesus went with his followers to a place called Gethsemane. What it's saying here is Jesus is going to this place and now he's getting ready to pray. Is just before he starts really going to the hard part of his cross experience. When he goes to pray, Jesus, when Jesus goes to pray, here is his first prayer. Easy to read version says this. My father, 
if it is possible, don't make me drink from this cup. But do what you want, not what I want. Some few moments pass. He comes back a second time and prays this. In verse 42, it says, my father, if I must do this and it is not possible for me to, there's our word, escape it. Then I pray that what you want will be done. Verse 44 ends with him is saying, he came back a third time and he prayed the same thing. Now hold it right there. Right here, Jesus is talking about a way of escape. And when you think of, when you think about it, our Lord and Savior is well aware of the severity of his situation. And like we're saying, as we all do in our human state, what he's contemplating in his head is, hey, is there an alternative? In his human state, his person is basically asking, hey, do I have an open door of escape? Keeping in mind that some people may say, well, you know, this was Jesus' destiny, so... Once he got this far, he did not have open. He did not have an open door of escape, but that's not true. He did. As a matter of fact, in this same chapter, if we go to the next down a little farther, look in, in when you get down to the fifties. Look at what Jesus said. We had a situation where when Judas came with the folks to take Jesus, one of Jesus's boys took out his sword and cut off an ear. It says this, verses 51 through 53 in the Message Bible, one of those with Jesus pulled his sword and taking a swing at the chief priest's servant, cut off his ear. Jesus said, put that sword back where it belongs. All who use swords are destroyed by, destroyed by swords. 53 family, don't you realize that I am able right now to call my father and 12 companies more, if I want them, of fighting angels would be here battle ready. The voice translation says this in 53. Surely you realize that if I called on my father, he would send 12 legions of messengers to do what? What does it say? Rescue. To rescue me. Go back to my image of the door perspective. Family, Jesus did have an open door. The open door before Jesus, though, had two subjects standing before it, both on opposing sides. Jesus stood on one side, viewing the door as his way of escape. All of mankind stood on the other side in sin, needing to go through that door to get delivered. On one side is Jesus in his trouble, seeing that door and knowing it's a way of escape. But on the other side is all of us, all of mankind then, all of mankind now, needing to go through that door to get to God. 
And the only way that opportunity, that door stays open is if Jesus remains on his side in his trouble. That's the only way that door stays open. Go back to that Matthew 26, 51 through 53. So he does have a door. He says, if I call my daddy, I can get up out of here. But Jesus, he elects not to do that. And he communicates that in the very next verse. Notice. Starting from 53. Don't you realize that I am able right now to call my father and 12 companies more if I want them of fighting angels would be here battle ready. But he says. If I did that. How would the scriptures come true that say this is the way it has to be? Jesus stood before that open door. And he said to himself. Do I fulfill the scripture? Or do I do what eases my pain? Do I stick with God's plan? Or do I get out of my trouble? By taking this door as a way of escape. Jesus made the decision. That he was going to stay in his trouble. So that that door would stay open for us. I'm talking about through the lies and the hatred and the dishonor and the just demeaning and the betrayal and the abuse and the torture. Jesus stayed on his side of the door in his issue so that others can come through to him. In other words, notice. Jesus made the decision to endure his own personal bad news. To create a platform for the rest of the world to hear and experience the good news. So contender, what about you? What would your decision be? What has your decision been? What will your decision be? Are you willing to endure your bad news so that the rest of the world can experience the gospel? If you are willing, you do the kingdom of God a favor. Take me back to Matthew 10. Just to reiterate it. This is Matthew 10, verses 16 through 18 in the Message Bible. We're just going to go right down to verse 18. Don't, Jesus says, don't be upset when they haul you before the civil authorities. Without knowing it, you've 
they've done you and me a great favor, giving you a platform for preaching the kingdom news. And this platform materializes based on your perception and your perspective of that open door. I want you to repeat something with me. Say this. Say, the opportunity for the gospel message to have a platform may hinge on my response to unpleasant times. It may hinge on your response to unpleasant times. Now I take one more focus on that open door while we, while we bring this session to a close. When we are in a situation that's problematic, we know it's natural to look at an open door and want to use that open door as a way of escape. Even though it is a natural response to want to exit immediately, the reality is contending for the faith may require that we stay put at our position relative to that open door long enough for others to cross the threshold and enter the kingdom. And that is why we must always seek God's perspective on every open door. Not the way we want the door to be. But God, what is your perspective on this open door? Is this door for me to jet out of my situation? Or is this door for me to stand in open arms while somebody else comes in? Right here on this image is a good place for us to pause. Are we done talking about this open door scenario or this open door concept? No. But it is a good place for us to pause and we will have more discussion next time. I love you so much. Let's pray. God, I thank you that each and every one of us here, well, we're, we're contenders. And as contenders, we're here to contend what? Contend for the faith. Hard times do come. Good times too. But it's rare that we, wanna, we want an escape out of good times. It's the bad times that sometimes give us happy feet make us a little antsy, shift, shift a little in, my, in our position, or at least think about it. My prayer is that 
you give us all convictions that keep us firmly rooted in you at all times. Teach us how to seek your perspective on the open doors that are presented before us as we go about our day. And we will continue to give you all the praise and thanksgiving for who you are in our life. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.